Talk, an HGA podcast. You're listening to episode 15, where we're talking about houseplants. I'm Alex Jenkins, your host, and today I'm joined by four very special guests, and I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. Hi, my name's Alex Opperman. I'm from a company called Opperman Plants Limited, and I manage the sales and uh, marketing here. My name's Mike Opperman. I'm MD of Opperman Plants Limited, a company that we started 26 years ago with, t- with 20 quid. Um, we now grow about 3 million tropical houseplants a year. Hi, my name's Jonathan Miller. I'm the Product Development Manager at WH Nurseries, a third-generation family grower based in the lovely Hampshire. Hi, uh, I'm Tiana Blanusa. I'm a Principal Scientist for Horticulture at the RHS, Royal Horticultural Society. Um, and over the last um, five or six years, um, I've been doing some um, research on houseplants, which I'm hoping to share with you. Thank you. Thank you all so much for agreeing to be our guests today. So we're going to start with what seems an obvious question, maybe, but let's just put it out there. What defines a houseplant? What is a houseplant? A houseplant, by definition, is a plant that is well suited to the conditions that exist within a house. And those are best found on the uh, rainforest floor. If you've been daft enough to walk around in the jungles, you will realise that very little light, actually, that lands on the canopy makes itself through to the ground, something something like only about 5%, and most of that light is blue. The plants that we tend to grow for the houses are small, uh, and usually um, either from seed or from cutting, but basically they're young plants, and as such, they're perfectly suited for low-light conditions. So a house plant is, is probably best described as a jungle plant or a tropical plant, which um, lives in conditions where light is very low. Uh, houses have very low light. And as a result, they're fairly well suited. Fantastic. That's a great definition there. We're going to get that in the dictionary, Mike. Thank you. That's perfect. <laughs> now we've defined that. Why are houseplants so important? I think there's um, sort of like a an innate yearning to connect with nature. Um, so bringing nature indoors sort of ushers in a, a sense of tranquility, comfort, and that connection that you just get with with having nature around you. Um, and I think in today's society, especially, younger generations are sort of tapping into that, seeing it, especially living in smaller apartment blocks where you, you or in cities where you don't get access to parks and places like that. I think I think that's what makes houseplants so important to so many people today whereas you know when houses were a lot bigger and gardens were a lot bigger and people had more access to it they, they didn't really tap into it uh, houseplants as much but certainly that's that's my take on it anyway <laughs> there was a very interesting paper that i read um the other day some sort of you do these things when you're fairly sad actually but i'm just going to read this to you because i think it's really important um studies have found that staff who have plants placed in their offices showed reductions in stress levels and negative feelings of the magnitude of 30 to 60%, while those with no plants recorded increases in stress and negativity of 20 to 40%. This piece of work was done by the University of Sydney, which is obviously the other end of the world, but I think it emphasises rather cleverly what Alex has just said. Green plants make people feel better. 
I mean, and there are absolutely yes. I'm I'm aware of that work. It's it's Fraser Thorpe's group, and they've done an awful lot of work. They're really leading on on um, on the research in that area. And and actually, for for the listeners and viewers in the UK, we're hoping to get um, Fraser Thorpe next year as a plenary speaker on the Green Cities Conference uh, International Science yeah. Symposium that we are organising at RHS Wesley next uh, next September. Um, but um, we have also done some some two research projects. Um, at the University of Reading, which I have um, co-supervised, and, and my two of my students, uh, Nalisa Han and, and Dr. Jenny Berger, have looked into some aspects of, of you know plants and well-being, and also some physical aspects on, on, on air quality. And I would completely agree with with what Mike's saying there. Uh, about the positive impact. Nalisa's study was actually quite interesting. It was a very small study, uh, a master's project, but extremely well executed, uh, and we published a paper from it, uh, where um, she's gone into an office building that was just pre-pandemic, um, and, and uh, we wanted to look at how not just the introduction, but also the removal of plants from the offices affects people's self-reported, you know, various aspects of, of self-reported well well-being. And basically, people really responded positively and they, you know, said that they've improved their, you know, motivation and satisfaction with workplace and quite a number of variables that we've asked them about. Uh, but then, I mean, what really impressed us most is that, you know, the reverse reaction when we took the plants away, uh, you know, it's really changed their mood, it's changed their satisfaction to the point where they genuinely went to their building office manager and demanded that they get the plants back. Which, we, you know, in the conditions of the experiment, we couldn't. We needed those plants for something else, but the, the office manager was very understanding and kind and basically he went and got them the, the plants. And then actually in our study, the biggest impact came from the plants that they had on their own work no. work yeah. Yeah. We also fitted um, out their, their common spaces and they've appreciated that and they you know increased their satisfaction with the overall layout of the place. But it was the the plant on their desk, their pet plant, which you know, in that short study had the most impact. Yeah. I would agree entirely with what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I think as well, building on from what Alex was saying around accessibility, I think there's a lot of younger people who obviously are living in smaller places without access to gardens, but also who aren't having children and things like that. And they are becoming plant parents and pet parents. And their acts of taking care of their plants are reducing their stress levels. And they prize them above all things. And they are willing to spend hundreds or thousands on really rare variegated mm -hmm. varieties yeah. that you would never ever consider normally and I think that's amazing and surrounding ourselves with plants I think really makes a house a home and that might sound corny but I really think it is like a finishing touch <clears throat> within the room to put in that plant. Uh, Dr Jenny Berger's work that, that actually looked at plant shapes and, and, and how people responded to them and how what they thought of the plant also influenced what they thought the plants which are not healthy that are dying on them are also a cause of stress I mean we haven't gone into an awful lot of detail I think we need to look it up you know how stress is stressed but I think you know we us helping people to look after those plants well because only healthy plants that they like the look of will actually make them happy Yes. Do you think that's yeah. something to do with the fact that it's something about taking care of a plant that actually adds to that well-being factor, uh, helps you relax? And if a plant isn't healthy, internally, there's something that maybe you feel like not doing what you should be. And actually, there's a failure aspect to that. Absolutely. I think a lot of people take their plant care very seriously. And I know 
in my office we sit and we will panic about our plants at home and we will all come in and be like my plants doing this what do you think i need to change so we're all very keen to sort of keep that going and i was um trying to do a bit of research for this and i saw a study i can't remember quite when it was but they got office workers to try repotting a plant or doing a computer like a really simple computer task and they measured people's heart rates and stress levels and in every single person who repotted the plant, their stress level and heart rate dropped and they were more relaxed versus even just doing something really simple on the computer. And I think that care taps into that thing within us that is so prehistoric mm. that we instinctively do just want to be around nature because we're used to it for millennia. Mm. Absolutely. We agree that the, the well-being aspect is is huge when it comes to having plants inside. Why are house plants then important for the industry as a whole? So for horticulture, source of revenue. To be perfectly honest, I think uh, I think one of what we just finished doing Chelsea a few months ago actually, and when I was doing some research, one of the things that absolutely stunned me was that only one plant sold in the UK out of 10 is grown in the UK. And why is why is houseplants important? Well, it creates a new revenue stream for the industry. It's also at the top end, it's also at the top end of the, uh, the science aspect of things, because there's an awful lot of information that is not known about many of the plants that we produce. And as such, it's, it's a big learning center for an awful lot of people, myself included which absolutely fascinates me. But but why are they important? Imports between 2017 and 2021 have increased by 11.5%. HMRC value at £412 million a year. That's what the industry's worth. That's what houseplants are worth to the to the tax economy. There's so many reasons. Job, job creation is probably one of the biggest, and certainly here we've been taking on people um to help us put the project together i think it's great job opportunities and i think science can benefit no end from having these plants around do you think that there is a a divide between the hort industry when it comes to house plants and outdoor plants i'm saying that carefully because they're obviously that actually they're seen very differently and we have a different kind of customer base. You're either a gardener of outside or you have house plants and maybe there needs to be more cohesion between between the two as being as in, as important. I think that people tend to look at house plants as either a gift for themselves or a gift they might give to someone else. Whereas a plant for the outside, probably they're seeing what the the eventual you know when they're trying to create something in their garden like it's a long time piece usually isn't it whereas if you're buying a house plant it's an instant uh, bit of interior design so I think so you've either got impulse for indoor you're either gifting it or gifting it to someone else or an outdoor plant usually ends up in your garden. There's another aspect that I think is really important to to understand here between the two uh, between indoor and outdoor production and houseplant horticulture is very high temperature horticulture. It's the equivalent of tomato production, um, where you need as many um, possible savings in fuel, um, space, um, time, energy. Um, it really is at the top end, it's at the cutting edge of horticultural production. It needs computers, it needs all sorts of things to keep the glass houses at the right conditions. 
they need the right EC in the pots, they need the right level of watering. It is quite complicated. Um, and when you know we grow outdoor plants, actually, and by comparison, they are comparatively easy in terms of what they require technically. So investment in houseplant horticulture is, there's a lot of investment involved, it really is. Um, whereas the outdoor stuff is much less technically minded, although there is a lot of technical work goes into it, don't get me wrong. But in houseplants, if something, if something starts to go wrong and you're not on the ball, it goes wrong very, very quickly. Yeah. Whereas outdoors, it still goes wrong, but it tends to go wrong a lot slower. And you, if, if you're reactive, you can usually put it right fairly quickly. And also, I would say that the returns per square metre on um, houseplant horticulture are far greater than they are on outdoor horticulture. But what I would say, actually, is the margins are probably about the same. And you mentioned there that it's at the forefront of technology. Do you think that as a as an area of the industry, actually, it is leading? Yeah, I, th I think it is. I think it certainly is because you tend to find actually, particularly with the peat free situation, if it if it works if it works for the house plants, where things are happening very quickly, it'll work for the outdoor stuff um, because it's happening a lot more slowly there. I think that's I think that is a really important thing, and certainly in in my experimentations, and we're on about experiment number nine here now. Um, we we've pretty much to say we got it cracked is probably being a bit pompous, but I don't think we have got it cracked. But put it this way, I'm ninety five percent happy with what we're doing, and I'm now taking that horticulture out to things like primroses and bellis and violas, and I'm seeing some fantastic responses. Whereas I think if we'd gone, if we'd actually done it the other way around, we would have found ourselves in all sorts of problems. Mm. Um, I think the biological changes that take place in a pot at 22 degrees centigrade uh, for 16 weeks are a lot faster than they would be in a viola, for instance, or a pansy or something growing outside. So you tend to pick up your nutritional problems quite quickly, etc. I think building on what Alex was saying around your indoor, your very specific customer who will be shopping indoor versus outdoor, I think you then can almost look at the indoor market versus cut flowers as opposed to outdoor horticulture. I think that is almost like a yeah. third element to bring into the mix mm -hmm. because certainly we see that as being our sort of like biggest competitor almost where in the sort of the financial difficulty that most people are in at the moment and then watching their pennies i think a hell of a lot of people will be transitioning from gifting a bunch of flowers when they go to their friends for dinner and they might well take a plant because they know they're getting something that is coming with more longevity attached to it so i think yeah. that is something to consider as well that sort of three market approach and do you think the customer base has changed you know that is evolving I think it probably is evolving. I think on the back of the pandemic, I think it's had to evolve. The customer bases are getting younger for indoor plants. And then I think where you have the diehard cut flower buyers, I think they will be looking at, and we've seen that through increases of orchid demand and things like that, they will happily go to a flowering indoor plant because they know they're getting something that could be flowering for months as opposed mm -hmm. to weeks or days. Yeah, we, we certainly see with um, a lot of our customers, uh, 
in the garden centres, you know, they're not only seeing the older generations buy into the houseplant trade, they're actually seeing, you know, the children coming in and buying the little tots and starting little collections on succulents, cacti, um, anything really. Uh, and, you you know, I d I've got friends where I go around their houses and they've got small children. You see on the windowsills, they've got stacks of uh, little, little pots. And I think it's just nice to um educate them on how to nurture plants so i think it's starting really young now going going all the way up to um dad's age bracket <laughs> i was gonna say actually i've been around since uh, adam was a boy actually um it is a long time actually but when i was at college all those years ago one of the things we used to do was to try and find out what the market value was worth um and i think we concluded after much rummaging around actually that uh I think the average person spent something like £17.96 per year on flowers and plants in the UK. And they fitted into the 55 to 75 year age bracket. Um, when you went across to Holland, the figure jumped to something like £60. And when you drove around Holland, you'd see lots and lots of plants in the windows. And everybody used to enviously discuss in the car about why the Dutch were better than we were at, at, at um, selling uh, selling or keeping plants alive. When I when I left college, uh, I went to work for a company called Geest Houseplant Division. Um, and they and Rochford's pretty much dominated the houseplant industry in the UK in the early 80s. Uh, and, we, you know, I was running a 13-acre nursery with about, uh, um, I can't remember how many millions of houseplants we used to produce, but they always used to sell when I first started. Uh, and about 13, 14 years later, actually, you couldn't give them away. It was if you strapped a £10 note to a plant and tried to sell it for £5, people would say, no, 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 it's too expensive, I'll buy it for two. It, it really was like that. And the flowering market became everything that people wanted. But with the rise of the green movement, and the green movement, I think, started in some strength um, about sort of, 10 years ago and started to gain more traction with more with more publicity, etc. I think people became much more aware of, of houseplants. And the younger generation in particular have really taken it on board. Mm. And the market driver now in all the research that we're doing is not the age group that I'm part of, the 55 to 75 year bracket. Um, it's actually the 20s to 35 bracket before the, the children come along. And they're the people that are really are really driving this. And if you go into garden centres or speak to the garden centre managers, or even if you even if you spend time with them, working with them for a day, etc., it's the younger generation that come in, and they're the ones that ask the questions, and they're the ones that are keen to learn. And I'm I'm sure this is all part of mm. of why houseplants have become popular. Yeah, I mean, I know it's it's entirely unrepresentative, but um, my actually place of work is University of Reading, um, and and you know I I've worked there for, for well twenty years now, but uh, I I can definitely see a change in you know freshers' week. Over the last few years, there's always a flower stand, and you know students you know leaving moving around the campus with house plants in you know the first week of term you do wonder how many of those plants will have survived to the end of term uh, <laughs> but, but certainly it's not something that you know i will have been seeing you know first time round you know in 2003 which was my first freshers week there just wasn't a flower stand there uh, and and also because i teach um students final year undergraduates uh, and and, and 
master's students on environmental science, environmental management, agriculture courses at, at Reading. Uh, you can definitely see a generational shift over the last uh, two mm. to three years. You know, the generation Z, Z coming into, into education and, and, you know, their take on environmental issues is much more, you know, heartfelt and they're very, very serious about both outdoor and indoor greening. I appreciate again that my students are, are already converted because through their interest, they are, you know, interested in, in the environment and well-being. But honestly, you know, the, the young people I was teaching 15 years ago were much more, okay, we are here to be taught. And that's one of the subjects, whereas at least the sample that I'm getting here, as they say, however unrepresentative, perhaps, uh, or, or, or yes, um, it is, you know, takes those things much, much to heart. And I, I do think there's uh, um, a, a receptive audience there to be, you know, reached out towards, uh, in, you know, in the current um, young people, you know, at university and leaving university. I was laughing actually, Alex, when you mentioned that, because my children are those ones that go into the garden centre and every time want to come <laughs> out with a little, a little plant or cactus. They've got their I own little collection. I, I, I was visiting a customer last week and uh, they had some Venus fly traps out. And yeah. <laughs> you could see all the kids coming along absolutely fascinated by um They by have to put plants. signs up, please don't feed them. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think actually those poor Venus flytraps are suffering from more stress, actually. Yeah, <laughs> probably. When their parents were. But it's great to see because they really are, you know, they're fascinated by it. So, um, yeah, it's good. It's really good. So as an industry moving forward, we've already got a fantastic customer base, a younger generation coming through. What do we need to do as an industry then to kind of follow that up, to keep that going? Do we need to grow more in the UK? Do we need to be educating people more on how to take care of these? Do we need to be promoting more the, the benefit? What do we need to do to, to make sure that always see this amount of interest? Education, education, education. It all comes down to that. When I, was a, when I was a lad, um, I keep going back to when I was a lad, and that's where an awful lot of what, what I think and where the way I operate comes from. It, wouldn't, it wasn't uncommon, actually, for my mother to grow Tradescantia, and she would put some cuttings in, in a pot, and they would root, and it would absolutely fascinate me. And then she'd go and give it to Mrs. Smith next door. And I could never really understand why she'd want to do that, but she did. And Mrs. Smith would then keep this for two or three years, and Mrs. Smith would name this this plant, and it would become part of her family. And if if people do well with plants, and it's like anything else, if you're collecting stamps, you know they don't die on you for one thing or another. But once you get the bug, it's sort of you you start to understand what to do and how to look after them. It sort of becomes almost automatic. And I think if people can get past the stage of of being scared of them. And one of the signs that I put on at Chelsea Show actually was, um, don't be frightened of your houseplants because your houseplants are more scared of you. Um, you know, 99% of all houseplants are killed by kindness. Um, people actually have to learn how to actually look after them. And once they look after them, they become part of the family. And once they're part of the family, you've got them, you, you know, they're on board. There's no question about it. Yeah, I think what comes part of that is also um educating the public on where their plants come from um i'm all for supporting british growers i think um you know commercially there's there's not many of us out there that are trained um in large production of plants and i think the more we can educate people to sort of purposely purchase british house plants then 
you know, that will just invest more back into the industry um, and help growers as a whole. And, and what about that fear of, because you've got those that love houseplants and can grow them and have done well, and they're particularly good at maybe a certain type of plant. And then you've got those that say, oh, no, I, I, I can't, I can't. I can't keep them alive I think orchids actually Jonathan are, are particularly scary aren't they I think yeah, everyone's they are. They tried have... to kill an orchid um... they, we get asked a lot from people we had a um, an open day a couple of months ago and we we had our love orchid pop-up shop there and 99% of the questions I had from people were I kill orchids all the time what do, what do I do? And half the time, people haven't actually killed the plant. The plant has just stopped flowering and they think that that it's then dead. So they need to try and get it to reflower. So we're sort of give advice around that. It is a plant that has this sort of stigma attached of it being really difficult. And it it isn't that difficult. And I think it is around education. And I think retailers have a responsibility for an increase in labeling and information to yeah. get that out to people because yeah. it will demystify things and i think we can then shout about plants being british grown and mm. how we advocate a ice cube watering method <laughs> for orchids where you pop an ice cube on there once a week and jobs are good in. but nothing could be simpler than that but there's still a, a reticence around people to sort of even try that. I think they get scared off from past experiences and they shouldn't be because I know, I know Mike said no one tries to kill their houseplants. If anything, they do it because they're trying to take care of it too much. I think the biggest, I think the best thing that, from an educational point of view, actually, to try and get people to understand is rather than buy a plant for spontaneity, think about where they want to put a plant, do a little bit of research onto that plant, and then go and buy a plant to fit that particular area. Um, you know, it doesn't seem a lot of point in putting a, buying a poinsettia, for instance, and I know we're not talking about poinsettias, but put a poinsettia in a dark place in a, in, in a house, and it's dead within a, few, dead within a few days, whereas put it in a sunny window, uh, and one that faces south, the chances of that plant surviving for a long time is quite significant. Um, and the other aspect that people really need to take on board, actually, when it comes to watering, Jonathan, you're talking about using an ice cube, uh, which I think is, is quite a clever way of doing it. Well, I've never considered doing it, to be honest. Um, but I will use the tip. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, I always try to tell people that less is better than more. And I would, I would always ask people to look at their plants and the plant will tell you when it wants watering. If the, leaves, if the leaf angle starts to change, if the, if the chlorophyll starts to look a little dull, it usually wants a little bit of water, but it doesn't actually want sticking in a basin and filling up the water and putting on the draining board and leaving, for that, leaving to drain. It just probably wants 100 ml of water, something like that, nothing much more than that. Wait for the leaves to go back up again. Um, one of the questions or one of the things I was trying to get across at Chelsea actually is that the plant takes up as much oxygen through its roots as it does through its leaves. Mm -hmm. And if you if you put your head under it, if, I'm sure we've all, when we went swimming, went under the water rather deeper than they could or stayed under the water longer than we should. 
and it's not very long before we come up and uh, we're a bit green around the gills, um, panting and doing all sorts of things. Well, when you water a plant, you're effectively doing exactly the same thing. So it's important actually to make certain of those roots to, to uh, work. And one of the legacies I found when I came back from the tropics the first time was just how much rain there was. You know, the amount of rain that falls on these plants is absolutely staggering. Um, and they handle it. But they handle it because the soil in which they grow on isn't soil, it's basically leaf litter. And, you know, a combination of detritus, et cetera, which is sort of growing on the floor. The soil level is probably, in some instances, no more than five or six inches, sorry, uh, 15 centimetres. The root systems of these plants are very long and very, you know, they, they, they spread a long, 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 long way. Um, so they're receiving probably, probably 20, 30, 40 mil of water a day, but they're handling it. When you actually trap that plant inside a pot, which is then put inside a, a terracotta pot or a ceramic pot to make it look pretty, you're actually trapping it in water. And trapping it in water is a death sentence for these guys because they need oxygen and need a lot of it. You know, when, when you talk about, I, I imagine your own nurseries will, will have their own excellent websites and, and you know, the, the advice that you provide to your direct customers. But as a national gardening charity, we, we take our advisory pages very, very seriously. So if people were just to Google RHS and then, you know, whatever plant name or house plant, there's a lot of uh, very specific, very practical and, and regularly checked advice, which we amend as we learn new things or as we hear new things where people can sort of quickly spot whether you know the plant for a certain location how to look after it and any any tips that you know general public may find find useful today we've been talking about the power of house plants how they have an impact on our well-being and our mental health the connection they give us to the outside world and green spaces how important they are to the horticultural industry and how they can be a trendsetter for our homes as much as any other design item I'd like to say thank you to my four very special guests today for their input and time. You've been listening to episode 15 of Hort Talk, a HGA podcast. I'm Alex Jenkins, your host. Stay safe, everyone. Take care.